0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all.
1: Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in South Bend, Indiana, and across from me in the virtual studio in beautiful portland oregon is the man who passed on the grill that allowed george foreman to retire deacon harold (laughs) burke sivers hello deacon
2: uh hey ken you know doing doing my part to help out man (laughs) (laughs) do you own a
1: george foreman grill i just gotta know
2: uh, no i don't actually no way i take that back we do we just don't we don't use that much anymore <laughs> but uh but he you know that's the thing when you he gets very creative with the name of
1: his children <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the understatement of the week by the way go ahead yeah tell us a little bit more about this
2: yeah all his kids are named george <laughs> george <laughs> you mean the first one deacon no all of them, all I, think of them. Has, I think he has five or six kids and they're all named george <laughs>
1: It reminds me of the uh, of the the cat in the Simpsons, Snowball. the The first cat was Snowball. At one point, Snowball passes away. They get another one. They name it Snowball too, but they just call it Snowball. And so it's the same sort of thing, you know. But George, all the kids named George. All the kids are George. And and you wonder if they if every meal that's cooked in the Foreman household is actually cooked on a George Foreman grill. <laughs> I mean, that lean, mean, fat grilling machine. <laughs> well
2: he's probably made enough money he can go to some pretty nice restaurants because of that grill so, that's true i would
1: i would hazard to guess not <laughs> yeah probably not right that's, that's even assuming that uh, he has to cook for himself <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. how are things going for you friend
2: uh yeah doing well doing
1: well um
2: you know again not, not traveling as much as so i got these little breaks in between which is which is great you know um my book on the jacket is going to be released uh ah what another month or so from now okay you know so um um just you know trying to promote that book i don't know as i'm I'm traveling around you know our life of service uh, on the diaconate and just very excited about that and uh you know then the the other book for ignatius press uh catholic response to racism is in the works and so we're still waiting for a release date for that but uh very excited about that book you know um you know, as I was writing, I was going, man, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just kind of just started writing. I didn't really think about it. But as I'm writing, I was going, man, I think this book could be important. You know, uh, I think I'm saying some things in there that uh, that people aren't saying. And I really think the, the Catholic Church can take the lead in the issue of race. So it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I look forward to uh, to for that coming out, and then we're going to have to talk about it in depth, and maybe maybe we'll see if we can get an interview with the author when that comes out.
2: Yeah, you know? I'll see if I see if I can arrange that. <laughs> That'd be awesome.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny that you should mention Ignatius Press, and uh, and we talk about authors because we are delighted to welcome back a guest uh, for a uh, continuing conversation with a friend of ours who is a. Uh, a University of Portland alumnus that uh, we both knew during our time at University of Portland. And uh, Paul Sens is a Catholic husband, father of four, writer at Catholic World Report, Our Sunday Visitor, the National Catholic Register, Catholic Answers Magazine, and more. Uh, And he's the author of the recent book, Fatima, 100 Questions and Answers About the Marian Apparitions, from Ignatius Press. And as I said, even more importantly, he's a good friend of ours, and we are delighted to welcome back Paul Sens. Hi, Paul.
0: Hi, thanks for having me back.
1: Absolutely. Well, it was easy to uh, get you back because, see, when in these times when we connect via the internet and all that kind of stuff, uh, we can have guests from around the world, including from such far flung places as, where is it, Western Oklahoma?
0: That's right. Beautiful, sunny Western Oklahoma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Paul, we uh, are delighted to welcome you back. Last week we started talking about your book. Fatima, 100 Questions and Answers, and uh, we talked a little bit about the process of writing the book and and, um, why why you wrote it, and then we got into beginning a little bit of background about what actually happened at Fatima in the early 20th century, in 1917, and uh, we talked a little bit about the situation on the ground, the history of Portugal, uh, and then we were starting to talk about the visionaries, the three shepherd children to whom Our Lady appeared. And uh, I think tonight that'd be a perfect spot to pick up our conversation. Tell us a little bit about the visionaries of Fatima.
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. There were at Fatima, the visionaries were three young children. Uh, there was the, the oldest was Lucia, and the younger two were her cousins, who were her brother and sister, Francisco and Jacinta. Um, They lived, you know, right near each other, and they were all— Lucia, as the oldest, was sort of the, uh, uh, you know, the model for the others. But they were uh, all—one of their family chores for all three of them was as shepherds. They would take the sheep out, um, and they would typically take them out together, all three of them, so that they could help each other. They were young, you know. uh, uh, Let's see. When when everything started, they were— six, eight, and, and 12 or something, some, somewhere around there, young children. Um, you know, so they take them out together, keep an eye on each other, keep an eye on, on, the sheep together and everything. They'd go out, they'd say their prayers and they'd play. Um, uh, there's actually, a, um, a pretty funny, a sweet little, little, uh, anecdote that's uh, recorded in, in, uh, Lucia's memoirs and everything that they, they, uh, uh, Changed it a little bit for the movie, but it, but 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 it's one of those you know unimportant changes. That's just an, another another sweet way of conveying it. They would pray their daily rosary uh, when they were out with the sheep, and uh, in the in the movie, and I think it's even in one of the trailers, they would say you know, they would yell out Ave Maria and he, and wait and he, listen for how many echoes came back, and then okay well, I heard five okay so that's five Hail Marys and then we'll move on say it again and see how many we can get back. In in reality, they would. Um, it's kind of the same idea, but they would when they were in a rush to to get to playing, they would just say, you know, "Our Father, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary," <laughs> uh, and kind of move on with, move on with their day. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate that they recognize the importance of the Rosary, even if not the saying of the entire prayers. Uh, yeah, so they were they were regular kids, you know. They 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 had their uh, their Joys and their their favorites, this and that. Jacinta loved music and loved to dance. Uh, Francisco was was uh, famously kind of a, uh, um, uh Saint Francis type with animals and and nature. And uh, Lucia was a very bright young girl who she her mother taught catechism at the church, and Lucia would go with her to the classes, and she actually got permission to. Um, to receive her first Holy Communion at a younger age than normal because she had been attending all these classes and then, you know, her her instruction at home and was so, so knowledgeable and so uh, passionate about the Eucharist that uh, um, a visiting priest quizzed her and convinced the pastor, you know, this, this girl has a love for the Eucharist and she, she she needs it. She needs it right now. So she was able to receive it at a young age and um, she was able to sort of be a a bit of a, uh, Mentor and uh, oh, I don't know inspiration for for her cousins as well, uh, who are like I said even just a few years younger than her, but at such a young age, that's a big difference.
2: Yeah, for the for the kids, what when when the blessed mother appeared to them, like what was going on in their mind? Did they think, well, I'm just seeing something here, or wait a minute, am I imagining? Something? Am I dreaming? Or what what did they think was going on?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's funny because <clears throat> the year before, in, in the uh, s- spring, summer, and early fall of 1916, they had an apparition of the, the Angel of Peace, who also called himself the Angel of Portugal. And he appeared, I think it was three, three separate times to the children, uh, and prayed with them, uh, and uh, there's actually a, a beautiful story from I think it was the last time he appeared to them he appeared with a, a a chalice and a host and knelt down and adored the chalice and host with the children and then administered it to them Lucia had received her first holy communion she she got the host and the other two received from the chalice which when you think about it that's the these children uh, the, the younger children receiving their first communion from the hands of an angel um just kind of mind mind boggling but uh so they i mean they they had this apparition experience the year before and it sort of primed the pump for our lady to appear to them he didn't say you know our blessed mother will appear to you next year or anything like that but just kind of preparing them to be open to it that sort of thing and then when, when she appeared to them they didn't know who she was and um Lucia was sort of the mouthpiece for the children. Each time she appeared to them six times from from May through October of 1917, uh, once each month. And it's kind of interesting. Lucia could could see her and hear her and speak with her, um, and uh, uh, Jacinta could see her and hear her, but couldn't speak with her. Francisco could. Uh, at first, he couldn't he couldn't see her or hear her at all. And he said to the other girls, "Who are, who are you talking to? What are you What are you doing?" Um, and uh, <laughs> she, she, the, our our lady said to them that uh, Francisco would have to uh, pray many rosaries if he was gonna if he was gonna you know be be ready for all this. But uh, anyhow, Lucía um, asked her, "Who are you?" And she said, "I come from heaven." That's what all she said at first. So then it's referred to her as the lady from heaven or the beautiful lady from heaven. They didn't know who she was. I think they kind of speculated that maybe this was Mary, but all they knew was that this lady appeared to us and said she was from heaven. But again, the angel having appeared to them the year before, they were ready to believe. You know, The, the, the pump was primed. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't until... As word started to spread and people started to speculate about what was going on, you know, some believed them, many didn't, and people started to speculate that maybe this is Our Lady, um, um, and it would be months, several months before they would find out for sure who it was. But they were ready to believe that this was something miraculous and something something holy. But at the same time, there was a certain a certain amount of guardedness, especially on the part of Lucia, who was who was very very worried that this was some kind of a you know, demonic trick and that she was going to be opening herself up to to something bad, which thank God it wasn't, (laughs) but, but that was, that was on her mind.
1: Well, now you described that there are six kind of main apparitions between May and October of 1917. They took place on the same day every month on the 13th, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, Please, except Um, August.
0: Because in August, Yes, in August, in August, they were uh, they were prevented from going to the apparition site by by the government. They were actually um, kidnapped and thrown in prison. Um, so then, uh, a few days later, <laughs> I mean, you're, the government's not going to do anything to stop Our Lady. So a few days later, when they were when they were available, she came by and saw them.
1: <laughs> wow! Um, wow! When most of us think of Fatima, we think of. If, if we think of anything, we're going to think of uh, hearing about the miracle of the sun. Yeah. What, what was that?
0: <clears throat> that was the, the final time she appeared to them on, on October 13th, 1917. The, in the previous months, you know, every month, Lucia asked, asked, her, asked her who she was and, and what she wanted of them. And at a certain point, as word was spreading, you know, I mean the, and on May 13th was just the three children there. By, you know, July there was something like 20,000 people at the site. You know, I mean, there's the word was spreading very fast, and these weren't all, all people who believed them. A lot of these people were there to mock the children, and they were, and their most of their parents didn't believe them, and most people in the town didn't believe them at first, and so. The whole thing was making life very difficult. So, so Lucia was asking her, can you please tell us who you are and give us some sort of a sign so that people will believe us? And she said, in October, the last time I appear to you, I will tell you who I am and I will give you such a sign. And the sign that she gave has come to be known as the miracle of the sun. Basically, it had been raining all night, all through the night, the, the, this field where, the, where they took the sheep was just a soaking wet, muddy, mucky mist. And it was raining still. Everybody was soaking wet uh, to the bone. And all of a sudden, the sun appeared to revolve rapidly around its axis, uh, dance around in the sky, rapidly change color. The the light that it was casting on the ground was changing color. Uh, And at one point it appeared to fall from its place in the sky and come hurtling towards the earth. The crowd at the site that day was somewhere around 90,000 people. And you have these just reports of absolute hysteria because of what was going on. All of these people witnessed it. And these are, like I said, these are not all credulous people. There were some who believed. There were many who didn't. Many who were just curious. There were atheists. There were government officials. All sorts of people, many of whom had no reason to believe, actually had Strong reasons to disbelieve, but they all report seeing the same seeing the same thing, and as the sun appeared to come hurtling out of the sky, people were dropping to their knees, they thought it was the end, you know dropping to their knees, begging for forgiveness of their sins and and screaming for help and everything and then all of a sudden, boom, the sun's back in its place in the sky, and everyone's clothes and everything on the ground was bone dry as if it you know as if it hadn't rained or, or as if the sun had come hurtling out of the sky. Uh, Wow, And the the really incredible thing is that there are are plenty of reports from 25, 30 miles away of people witnessing the same thing. People not at the apparition site had no idea what was going on. There was one report I found from a British sailor who was working on a ship that was docked off the coast of Portugal. And he he wrote a letter back to his family um, talking about this strange thing that the sun was doing on October 13th. And, you know, it danced around of the sky, and he reported the same thing. He had no idea what was going on, no connection to the apparition site. But here is this example, you know, 104 years later that we, that we can look at of one more corroboration of this, of this remarkable event.
2: Wow. Wow. So um, two things. One, first of all, was that incident reported in the local news? Like, was it on the newscast or newspaper? And second, what was the church's? response to this first to the children and then
0: um after the miracle of the sun yeah yeah it was um it was reported in the newspaper there were uh i can't i don't re- recall how widely it was reported but i know that there were uh, some journalists who were who were there who reported on it um uh, some and some of these as i said some of these people were staunch atheists who we just reporting on this phenomenon of all these people showing up at this field for some reason because these children say that they saw this you know, and then there were conversions and, and re- reporting these miraculous things as far as the church goes, I think the the best way to describe how the church authorities reacted it was it was a very local phenomenon at first. I mean word spread pretty quickly, but uh, in the immediate aftermath. It was basically their pastor and maybe local priest and the bishop. And I would say the best way to describe it would be maybe uh, a guarded reaction. You know, they, they didn't want to assume anything one way or the other, but they were counseling the children, especially Lucia being the oldest. Basically, you know, make sure that you're prayerfully discerning what's going on. Maybe this is something miraculous, or maybe it is some kind of, Uh, demonic influence that's trying to lead you to something bad but you have to discern that Um, and uh, as I said the townspeople and 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 the church authorities were not wild about uh, um, the attention it was bringing them from the government but of course I'm sure they recognized that if this was really something miraculous if this was Our Lady that they didn't (laughs) want to poo-poo that and within, within just a few years, um, there were reports of, uh, of uh, Pope Pius XI uh, being familiar with Fatima and, and kind of privately, you know, have positive feelings about it. There, there hadn't been a, a, a very thorough examination of it by that point, so no official approval or anything like that. But his successor, Pius XII, uh, one of his nicknames is is the Pope of Fatima because he he just had this profound devotion, um, and as a matter of fact, he he was his episcopal ordination was on October thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. So as Our Lady was appearing to the children, the miracle of the sun was happening. He was being ordained a bishop in Rome by Pope, by Pope Benedict the So he's he's kind of always had this connection with Our Lady uh, and with the Fatima apparitions, and he was he was a. Uh, uh, a profound devotee of of uh, the Fatima apparitions, and then, of course, after that, you know, many years later, John Paul II had, we, we know all about his his connection with Fatima and his deep deep devotion to it.
1: Paul, what happened to the visionaries after uh, um, October 1917?
0: The the two of them led very similar paths to each other, <laughs> and one very different. Francisco and Jacinta. As I say, they were they were very young at the time, and within a couple of years after the apparitions, both of them would be dead from Spanish flu. Uh, they and they 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 had a sense of this already. Um, Our Lady had told them that Francisco Jacinta wouldn't live very long, but that Lucia would be kept around for many years because she because the Lord still had work for her to do for the, for the church and the world, um, and she of course was right. Within a couple of years. Francisco and Jacinta would both die. Um, they uh, one of the things that they that they learned from Our Lady was the the value of, of you know redemptive suffering and of, of offering your own suffering and your own sacrifices for the good of the Church and the world for for reparation for sins for the conversion of sinners. Uh, so as they suffered and languished for 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 a couple of years before they died. There there was all these reports of, of, in the midst of all that terrible suffering, the joy that they had because they knew, and they would say this, that all of their suffering they were offering for them. Um, Our Lady made it clear to them what, you know, the the, the lot of sinners, what, what it was that sinners suffered, this eternal torment, and... It was their life's work to do whatever they could to prevent that. Everything from spreading the message that Our Lady had given them to, as I say, offering up their suffering. Um, Lucia, she didn't die until. Well, I have to think about it now. It was I think two thousand five or or it was in the two thousands. It was somewhere around there. I mean, she was, she was present at the beatification of Francisco and Jacinta in 2000, and she, you know, you, you hear about the secrets of Fatima, the, three, the third secret especially, which was the, the uh, apocalyptic vision, the very, you know, uh, uh, controversial one. She was able to have conversations with um, Cardinal Ratzinger and then Archbishop Schoenborn from the, from the CDN about the vision and the, this kind of theological interpretation, her understanding of what it meant and their understanding and their interpretation and everything. She was able to participate in all that as well as the beatification ceremony. So it's just remarkable. She spent dec- many, many decades helping to spread the, this message of Our Lady of Fatima and uh, to, do, to do so much good for the, for the church in the world.
1: Well, in our last few moments, Paul, maybe you can tell us uh, what are some lessons from Fatima that we can take away for our faith journey.
0: The main lessons from Fatima that we can take away, and that our that Our Lady said repeatedly during these visions, was she emphasized the importance of of sacrifice and offering up suffering for, as I say, for the conversion of sinners and the reparation for sins Um, and the importance of praying the rosary and remember as we know the rosary is (coughs) while it's a while it is a mary in prayer the rosary is a, a meditation on the life of our lord you know like any good mother she wants to lead people to her son that's what she's all about so the praying the rosary going to her to be brought to her son and to bring the world to her son uh, that's what it's all about and she she talked about uh the importance of all of that and praying for peace praying for the conversion of um at the time when the uh, russian revolution was just getting started and she talked a lot about uh the conversion of russia and and um, uh, consecrating russia to to her immaculate heart and Basically, bringing this sinful, fallen, hurting world to her so that she can wrap the world in her embrace and bring it to her son. And that's that's the message of Fatima. that's what I hope that when people hear about Fatima, read the book, watch the movie, whatever. I hope that they are prompted to pray the Rosary to come to Our Lady. And ultimately, to be laid more profoundly to her son.
2: Oh, awesome! Thank you, Paul. Well, thank. We're just about at the end of our time, but Paul, thank you so much. It's really been enlightening, and uh, we really want to encourage people to learn more about Fatima, to learn more about Our Lady, and the and the power of her love and witness and intercession in our lives. And uh, how can they get your uh, get a hold of the book um, that we've been talking about and learn more about you?
0: Yeah, so you can get the book at Ignatius.com. It's published by Ignatius Press, so Ignatius.com. Uh, or go and support your local Catholic bookstore. Yeah.
2: All right. And where can they find more information about what you're doing?
0: Well, there's, there's uh, uh, all, the, all the places I write for, Catholic World Report, Catholic Answers, Our Sunday Visitor, the National Catholic Register. And uh, you can also find me on, on uh, Facebook and Twitter, although I'm terrible about actually um, keeping up with posting my writing there. <laughs> uh, but Google, Google's always your friend when it comes to that sort of thing.
1: Well, Paul sends it has been an absolute joy to have you with us these last few weeks to talk about Fatima, 100 questions and answers about the Marian apparitions. And uh, we'd love to have you back next time you write your next uh, award-winning novel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> next and first, would be my pleasure. There
1: you go. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we invite you also to download previous episodes of Living Stones at com. Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing?
2: May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
0: You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show,
2: go to MaterDayRadio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I Radio.com.